0: This is The Universe in a Bookshelf, and today we look at the science behind the short story The Last Question by Isaac Asimov. Hi, this is The Universe in a Bookshelf. I'm Alina, and here to help you better understand the universe using science fiction short stories. Today we will take a look at the short story The Last Question by Isaac Asimov. If you haven't read the story yet, you can still listen to the episode. But be warned, there will be spoilers. So if you'd prefer to read the story before, go have a look at the show notes, where I put a link where you can find the story online. So before we delve into the science behind the story, I want to give you a quick summary of it. During the summary, you will hear sections with music. This means that this is a passage from the story. The story begins in the year 2061 and follows human history for several trillion years as they develop. In the year 2061 a powerful AI called Multivac finds a way to collect the sun's energy. It's amazing when you think of it, all the energy we can possibly ever use for free. Enough energy if you wanted to draw on it to melt all earth into a big drop of impure liquid iron and still never miss the energy so used. All the energy we could ever use forever and forever and forever. It is however clear that the sun's energy does not last forever. Just give us a trillion years and everything will be dark. Entropy has to increase to maximum, that's all. So the last question is first asked in 2061. Can the net amount of entropy in the universe ever be massively decreased? Multivac's answer to this is Insufficient data for meaningful answer. The story then tells a few instances throughout time in which this last question is asked again and again to Multivac's ever more powerful successors. As humanity and the AI become more and more advanced, the answer always remains insufficient data for meaningful answer. A hundred billion years after the beginning of the story, humankind has evolved so far that all people are now just one entity and there are only a few stars left in the universe. But even so, eventually it will all come to an end. However it may be husbanded, however stretched out, the energy once expended is gone and cannot be restored. Entropy must increase forever to the maximum. Cosmic AC, how may entropy be reversed? There is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer collect additional data. I will do so. I have been doing so for a hundred billion years. My predecessors and I have been asked this question many times. All the data I have remains insufficient. Ten trillion years after the last question was first asked, matter and energy have ended. And it came to pass that AC learned how to reverse the direction of entropy. But there was now no man to whom AC might give the answer of the last question. And AC said, Let there be light. And there was light. So this tells the story of the last question humanity has to answer. Is there a way to reverse entropy? The powerful AI finds a way to reverse entropy. Namely by inducing a big bang and basically restart the universe. But what does science have to say about entropy, reversing it and having a big bang to solve the problem? Now, first of all, what even is entropy? And why should we even care about it? It is often said that entropy is a measure of disorder in a system. While this is true, it's not really a precise definition. In physics, entropy is actually defined in a concrete way. Entropy is always defined for a given system. And this system has a certain energy. Now, the system consists of several parts, for example, several atoms and these atoms can actually be arranged in many different ways and still result in the same energy of the system Entropy now tells you in how many ways you can arrange the parts to have the given energy as a visualization Let's say our system are three dice and instead of the energy we look at the sum these dice show We are not actually interested in the number each individual dice shows, we just want to know what the sum of all three dice together is. We now first look at the system where the sum is 3. So all three dice together have to give a sum of 3. Now there is only one single possibility to have this sum, namely all dice have to show the number 1. This means that this system has a low entropy, because there are only few possibilities for the system to be in this state. Now in contrast, if we look at a system that has as a sum 10, there are all in all 27 possible ways to have this sum. For example, the first dice could show a 6, the second dice a 3 and the third dice a 1. Or the first dice could show a 3, the second dice a 1 and the third a 6. And so on, you get the idea. This system has a high entropy because there are many different possibilities to reach the state of having a sum of 10. As I already mentioned, entropy is often used to describe the disorder in a system. And now, that makes sense, because if the system has a high entropy, it means that there are many different ways for the system to be in the state it is in. In contrast for a state with low entropy, there are only a few possible ways for the system to be in this state. So let's take again an example. If you look at liquid water, it has a high entropy because the water molecules can arrange in many different ways and we still get water. In contrast, water ice has a low entropy because the molecules must arrange in a special way to form ice. So, liquid water is more disordered than water ice. Entropy follows the second law of thermodynamics, which states that in a closed system, entropy is always increasing. This means, to come back to our example with water and ice, if you leave ice in the sun, it will melt and become liquid water. The other way around, water releasing all its excess energy to the environment and then becoming ice, does not happen because it violates the second law of thermodynamics. But wait, wait, wait! We can put water into a freezer and get ice, doesn't this violate the second law of thermodynamics? no because the second law of thermodynamics talks about closed systems now your freezer is not a closed system yes by freezing the ice you decrease the entropy of the water but since your freezer is not a closed system you also have to look at the back of the freezer where a lot of heat is released which raises the entropy of the environment and in addition the freezer needs electricity The production of this electricity also increased the entropy. So overall, the net amount of entropy in the universe is increased by freezing those ice cubes. Right after the Big Bang, the universe was basically a soup of photons and elementary particles. So you'd think that this is a pretty high entropy state. And you can actually calculate the entropy of the universe right after the Big Bang. It's about 10 to the 88 k Boltzmann. This is an incredibly large number. However, due to the second law of thermodynamics, we know that today the entropy of the universe must be larger than right after the Big Bang, because in all this time since then, entropy was increasing. As it turns out, the entropy of today's universe is about 10 to the 104 k Boltzmann. This is 16 orders of magnitude larger than right after the Big Bang. But how could entropy increase so massively, when just after the Big Bang, the universe was a disordered soup of elementary particles? It's because of gravitational collapse. When there is a gas cloud collapsing under its own gravity to form a star, you'd think that this star is more structured than the gas cloud it originated from. So you'd think that forming this star decreased the entropy of the universe. That is however not the whole picture, because you have to look at everything when this gas cloud collapses. In this gas cloud, for particles to move inwards, they have to give away their axis angular momentum. And they can only get rid of it by interacting with another particle. So these two particles interact and transfer angular momentum. One of the particles then falls inwards and helps forming this star, while the other particle is slung out with a high velocity. So when you now also include these particles that have been slung out in calculating your change of entropy, you will find that forming this star increased the net amount of entropy in the universe. If gravitational collapse increases entropy, it makes sense that a black hole is basically the maximum entropy state matter can make, because you cannot gravitationally collapse more than a black hole. Actually, the entropy of a black hole is proportional to its mass squared. According to the heat-death theory, all matter will eventually be inside a black hole, and when this happens, the entropy of the universe will be 10 to the 123 k Boltzmann, which is 19 orders of magnitude bigger than the entropy of today's universe. The black holes then start to evaporate, which increases the entropy of the universe even more. In time, the universe asymptotically approaches a maximum entropy value. This heat death scenario is actually a possible way how our universe will end. If you're interested in black holes, you should definitely check out the second episode of the universe in a bookshelf. Related to entropy is the concept of free energy. Let's take a look at a cloud of water vapor. This cloud has a given energy. You can just measure the kinetic energy of every individual molecule and then add up these energies and you will get a total energy of the cloud. However, if you want to use this cloud to power a turbine, you will not be able to convert all of this energy into useful work. The part of the energy that can be converted to useful work is called free energy. Entropy tells you how much free energy you get. If the entropy of the cloud is high, it means that you have only very little free energy available. If the entropy is low, you have lots of free energy. We humans and all life needs free energy to live. So when the entropy of the universe increases, the free energy available to us shrinks. Therefore, at one point there will no longer be enough energy available to support life. That means if humanity wish to live forever, we have to find a way to decrease the entropy in the universe. Which brings us to the big question asked by this short story. Can we decrease the net amount of entropy in the universe? Or in other words, can the second law of thermodynamics be broken? The short answer is yes. Wait, wait, wait. What? So what's all the fuss with the second law of thermodynamics? So actually, the second law of thermodynamics is not a hard mathematical fact. Rather it is a statistical law and there is always a non-zero probability that it is violated, which would mean that in an isolated system the entropy spontaneously decreases. The thing is, when you take everyday objects that contain a huge amount of molecules, the probability of violating the second law of thermodynamics is just so small that we can basically say it is never broken. But when you look at a small system consisting only of a few hundred or thousands of atoms, this probability can actually be quite significant. This was first theorized in 1993 by the so-called Fluctuation Theorem. In 2002 physicists could actually experimentally demonstrate this theorem. They put some latex particles with a diameter of about 6 micrometers into water. Due to the random movement of the latex particles and the water molecules, they bump into each other and transfer momentum. This interaction will change the entropy of the system. The physicists then measured the trajectories of the latex particles for a certain amount of time. Then they measured how much the entropy of this particle changed during this time. If the integrated time was less than a few seconds, the scientists found that there is actually a significant probability to find particles whose change in entropy violates the second law of thermodynamics. If the time is only one hundredth of a second, there are about as many trajectories violating the second law as there are trajectories following the second law. However, if the integrated time gets longer than a few seconds, the second law violations can no longer be observed. So although in theory it's possible to break the second law of thermodynamics, it's not possible in practice. The system size and time scale we are looking at are just too big. So this brings us to our last point. Could entropy just be reversed by restarting the universe? This idea that the universe restarts is not new. The theory is actually called big bounds. The idea is that at some point the universe will start to contract and it gets smaller and smaller until it is concentrated in a very small volume. Then the big bounce happens and the universe starts expanding again. Then the universe evolves and at one point it will contract again, a big bounce will happen again and so on. So you have this cycle. That's also why such a universe is called a cyclic universe. There are however two problems with this theory. The first is that observational data actually suggests that the expansion of our universe is accelerated. It is thus highly unlikely that the universe will at one point stop expanding and instead start to contract. The second problem is entropy. In such a cyclic universe, entropy still needs to increase from cycle to cycle and thus the universe will again approach the maximum entropy, making life impossible. However, I do have to say that if before the big bounce the universe concentrates in a small enough volume, all the theories we have break down. So we can simply not say what would happen with entropy in this case. There are however theories who try to deal with this entropy problem and I want to tell you now about one of those theories which was published in 2006. So I was just talking about the expansion of our universe and that it is accelerated. This observation led physicists to theorize dark energy, which is the mysterious source of this accelerated expansion. Very little is yet known about dark energy. However, if this dark energy would have certain characteristics, it's possible that the universe's expansion gets faster and faster. This means that the space between us and far away galaxies gets stretched out more and more and more. And at one point, the light from these faraway galaxies is no longer able to reach us because the space between us and the galaxy expands just so fast that light cannot keep up. Hold on. How can space stretch out faster than light can move? Isn't there the theory of relativity that states that nothing can move faster than light? That's correct. Nothing can travel faster than with the speed of light. However, when space expands, the objects themselves are not really moving. It's just the space itself that expands. It's therefore very well possible that space expands just too fast for the light to keep up. So the expansion becomes still even faster and at one point we are also no longer able to see the stars around us. Then the sun vanishes. And that's all because the space is just expanding so fast that light cannot keep up. Then one day you can no longer see the house of your neighbor and then our cells start to disintegrate. Then the atoms disintegrate. Then the protons. So the universe is basically split up into a whole lot of sub-universes. And they are no longer able to communicate with each other. So we say that they are causally disconnected. This event is called the Big Rip. So the theory that solves the entropy problem starts right before the Big Rip, when the universe is split up into many many sub-universes. And remember, these sub-universes can no longer communicate with each other. So we have in fact a multiverse. At that point, every sub-universe deflates dramatically in a short amount of time. But remember, the different sub-universes remain causally disconnected. At one point these multiverses will stop contracting and there will be a bounce and all the universes start expanding again. So this portion looks like the big bounce theory I was talking about earlier. The difference is that now we have a huge number of separate universes, all of which will now evolve independently of the others. And someone living in one universe cannot know anything about any other of those universes. Each universe will eventually reach the big rib again, which will then result in a whole lot of new universes. This cycle could go on forever, which will result in infinitely many universes. If you sum up the entropy of all the universes together, you will find that the total entropy approaches a maximum entropy. The trick, however, is that this total entropy is split among many, many universes. So surely there will be new universes that start out with an entropy that is lower than the total entropy of the original universe. Therefore, for someone living in one of these universes, it looks as though at the start of this universe the entropy was low. And living in this universe, you would also never know about those universes that have a high entropy where life is not possible. Thanks for listening to the first episode of the Universe in a Bookshelf. If you want to learn more about the signs I presented here, go have a look at the show notes, where I put all the references I used. In the show notes, you will also find a link to today's short story, The Last Question. You can find the show notes at universeinabookshelf.wordpress.com. The intro song is called Préparatifs dans la salle de rédaction by Monroeville Music Center and the outro song is called Underclocked by Eric Skid. The music you heard during the story reading passages is called Planet Zero by Chassar In the next episode I will talk about Stephen Baxter's short story The Gravity Mine. So if you want to learn more about black holes, you should check it out.